Hey, everybody. A little introduction before we kickstart the episode. You will notice that on the episode you're about to listen to, the audio quality is a little bit wonky. And the biggest reason for that is, unfortunately, we were unable to record on Zoom that day. Either Zoom were having problems or I was having problems or I don't know, both. But point is, it took... It took a little took a little time to really get the the podcast started, so we had to switch platforms and do it through Skype. So, at one time, either John or myself will reference the the headaches that we've had uh, while trying to record this episode. But just to put a little context in that, regardless, I think we we had some really good content in this episode, and hopefully, you'll enjoy it every bit as much as John and I enjoyed making it. Well, hopefully a little bit more than we enjoyed making it. I'm not going to lie. This one was a pain in the ass to, uh, to complete. But either way, I, I'm proud of it. And hopefully you will enjoy it as well. Now then, cue the intro. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in today. With me today, I've got one of my favorite people in the whole world. Also, the the winner of the nicest guy in the ter- uh, territory, right? So without further ado, Mr. John Rowe. I call him Bones. How's it going, Bones? Hey, pretty good. Hanging in there. Awesome, awesome. What, uh, what do you got going on today? Oh, not too much. Hanging out. Uh, I got some good news, some family-related news, so I'll probably be seeing some of them. Good. Uh, um, so, yeah, just looking forward to that. But other than that, not too much. So one of the things that we like to do when we get one of these podcasts started off is the guest to tell a little bit about himself, who he is, what he likes to do. In this case, how you feel about this past season and the premiership, uh, whatever, you know, all that fun stuff. So, John, tell us a little bit about you. And then uh, you can also tell us what movie you have in store for us today. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, my name is John Rowe. People call me Bones sometimes. I got a lot of nicknames. I am a native of Austin, Texas. Um, grew up here, spent all my life. Longest I've ever spent outside of Central Texas is about four months. While I was uh, going across the territories in Australia. I have been on six continents, swam in three different oceans, across the Nile, Mississippi, and uh, the Amazon. Uh, I'm a man who loves travel and the arts and history and film and cinema. And uh, more than anything, though, I love my friends and my family. Yeah. Um, as it comes down to the premiership, I remember a few years back telling you that this was going to be Tottenham's best year ever. Yeah. <laughs> for the uh, Champions League. And it shows kind of, uh, I think in some ways, like you can have all the hope in the world. Um, you're always hopeful for your team. And that's kind of what we pay for as fans is like the belief as like when you're a child and you believe in somebody as you grow older, you kind of lose that belief in things. And it's like in sports, we find it again. It's just like, oh, maybe, maybe, who knows? Maybe yeah. uh, Matty Ice throws three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and we get it, you know, and you get that hope. Or maybe, you you know, or you run instead of trying to throw in the fourth quarter when you've, when you've you know, got a game one in a Super Bowl. But whatever, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. There. No. You know, maybe you don't put your hand up in the box and get a goal scored against you in the first minute of the Champions League. Yeah. 
Yeah. So maybe, you know, that it's a, you know, life's a game of inches. You got to play the games. You got to play the games. <laughs> um, but the movie, the movie I chose was Wrath of Khan. And Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. Star Trek 2, if anybody was unfamiliar with it, Star Trek 2 is a, uh, what, a sci-fi um, kind of plays up uh, 300 years from now. So there are aliens, but it's kind of within a reasonable, relative believability. But the movie had a line that stuck out to me when I was younger that uh, Spock tells Kurt. And in, it's when he tells him, it's like, you didn't need to be admiral. It was, a, it was a mistake. You should have been the captain. And he says, like, that was your best destiny. And I always liked that. Uh, and always stood out to me is that oftentimes people I find are searching or pushing. And um, it's always nice when you find that character that just is really embracing their who they are and just living in their moment. And we see it in sports a lot with greatness, but I think you can see that in the just everyday man and workplaces, the people who take pride in their jobs and are good at it. And uh, so that line in the movie just always stood out to me. And then watching the movie a few different times, there's just so much in it that I think is quite interesting where they talk about different history elements or uh, who the characters are kind of developed into. So those are some of the reasons and whys of the movie, The Wrath of Khan. I was doing a little digging, a little research, and the movie, by the way, for for the listeners, was a huge success. I think like it came out in 1982. It was the eighth biggest film of that year, but there, this film grossed around 80, 80 plus million, which relative today would be like $250 million in the box office. So it, it did really well. And uh, I, I like to research and see what the critics thought. Critics loved it. It had well over an 80% and on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was reading one of the reviews by Roger Ebert. And this ties into what John was just talking about with the, with the line that um, Spock had to Kirk. And this movie does play in a lot of, a lot of themes, right? I mean, we, it, it covers a lot of stuff. And one of the things that they talk about is humanity, aging, death, but Spock, spoiler alert, we'll get probably cover it later on. Spock dies in this one. I know we, we've had many sequels since Wrath of Khan, but in this one, Spock did die at the end. And Roger Ebert in his review, I'll, I'll read this paragraph because I found it kind of fun. The peculiar thing about Spock is that being half human and half Vulcan, and therefore possessing about half the usual quota of human emotions, he consistently, if dispassionately, behaves as if he is as if he possessed very heroic human emotions indeed he makes a choice in star trek 2 that would be made only by a hero a fool or a vulcan and when he makes his decision the movie rises to one of the best scenes because the star trek stories have always been the have always been their best when they centered around their characters although i like the special effects in the first film they were probably not the point fans of the tv series wanted to see their favorite characters again and trek 2 understood that desire and acted on it so just the the natural human spirit is one of the things that the movie taps into and um the heroism that that spock you know sacrifices himself at the very end of the movie for everybody else was a really cool scene so i i, I don't know if that was something that that you enjoyed but that was one of my favorite one of my favorite uh parts in the movie was when he he sacrifices himself for for everybody sure well he was uh 
like, I mean, the line, the main line of just the needs of the many come before the needs of the few or the one. Mm-hmm. I think um, all of us have a kind of experienced sacrificing for others at some point. That's one thing I liked about the character of Spock is I felt like he sacrificed a bit of his ego for the good of the group. Um, mm-hmm. Okay with Kurt kind of being the leader and, you know, having a kind of running it that way. But Spock always kind of was a good balance, kind of a yin and yang to to the two. So, but one of the things with Spock is he's the captain of the ship at the beginning and he's willing to die for his crew. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a part of it that, uh, you know, Kirk, he gives up the captaincy. We're so used to Kirk being the captain, but he's kind of the interim one. And it works with him just saying, like, you should be this guy. And, you know, as the story goes, everything works out because Spock's in the right position to save his people. But I think uh, that's one thing I really liked about Spock and made him hero was that he was he sacrificed himself for the ship. I think it's interesting calling him human because at the uh, Kirk in his eulogy to Spock says he was the most human. That's kind of the part that's he kind of breaks down when he calls him, you know, he was the most human of us. And then kind of towards the middle part, Savick and Spock are talking and she's like, calls Kirk. So whenever he kind of enters the ship for the inspection and she's like, uh, he's so human. And Spock says, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of the humanity. There's a lot of different themes within the movie. Definitely. Mm-hmm. One of the ones that strikes me is just when Kirk's... Uh, sitting there and he's on genesis like he he's just sitting there and he's having a conversation with uh, his baby mama Uh, (laughs) and he just says like i'm old i feel old i feel tired and worn out and uh i don't know just the way he sits there reminds me of an old uh, sculpture called the boxer at rest and i kind of think that there's a lot of ties that they use with history and um I just thought it was a well played out movie. And uh, that's kind of one of the themes with just an old guy who's been fighting through the wars. He's tired. Um, he's up against his, his rival, his biggest rival yet. And he's got it. He just got his family back together and he's got to figure it out. Your hair looks great, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I just got it cut maybe a week or so ago. So, but a basic plot summary of, of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is time Time has passed since the previous movie. The, the crew is a little bit older. Uh, Captain Kirk is now retired to more of an administrative role. And as John so eloquently said earlier, uh, Spock is now the, the captain of the Enterprise. The movie also ties in with this life-creating technology that... I don't know, for lack of a better term, you know, can be put in the, like the most desolate of places and it can spring life. And one of the, the 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 big villains of Star Trek, like this genetically engineered human by the name of Khan has, for lack of a better term, I don't know, kidnapped this this machine. And it's an old foe of of, of Kirk and, and and Spock. So Khan is back and he is pissed off. You know, in addition to losing, you know, other other people within his crew, he lost his wife. So he's consumed with with vengeance and anger and hatred and it just completely consumes everything uh within within Khan's being to make make Kirk miserable. And so yeah. That's you know, it. When was the first time? Do you remember the first time that you saw Rathacon? I was just as a kid. I've, just we, as a kid. 
just VHS sets that had like I think it was six different movies, and it just kind of like if you put them all together, it would just look like the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it seemed like you know they really were coming out like every five years. So like they always had new uniforms. That was kind of cool. I thought I thought I remember like Christian Slater being in one, but then you had Christy Alley that went on to Cheers. You know she yeah. She, Maybe she was a little too big for Star Trek, but um, yeah, I mean, it. I can't like in a way like Star Wars. It's like when was the first time you saw Star Wars? Like you're a kid, and yeah, um, you know, I can remember probably like ten years ago whenever I watched Wrath of Khan and being an adult, being like, oh, that's you know him doing a little bit better job. I yeah, I would have saw it sometime when I was a kid. I remember being like freaked out by those like the like the like the worms that that go into the ears well doing the watching the thing recently i thought you might you know it's kind of like those are similar and they came out in the same year what are these parasites not just like the same like year they came out like the same like within within like two weeks or three weeks of each other i mean they came out all like around the same time it's wild yeah it's good little horror in there i think that's pretty i think it's the I'm pretty sure it's the one thing Kurt actually like shoots and kills is one of those little, like uh, with his ray gun. He, he mm-hmm. kills one that comes out of uh, uh, what's the crew man's name who, who didn't die? The Russian. Chekhov. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I guess Chekhov just had like stronger mental ability to repel. Mm-hmm. Um, with the madness that apparently it, it causes, right? What yeah. what I don't remember. It, and you know, I I watched it what forty eight hours ago. Like after like the the earwig, I call it an earwig. That that thing like comes out of his ear. Do we even see Chekhov again? Like in the rest of the movie? Yep, he's laying down. You know, he's taking a little break at the Genesis factory, but he arrives at the very end to walk okay. in. Um, kind of his Spock's kind of getting out of there and stuff, but I believe he fires the torpedoes. Okay, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. So this movie, they when when this movie came out from the research that I had that I had done is they went really back to the drawing board because although the Star Trek the the motion picture was a financial success, I mean it, it made over a hundred million dollars, but the, the the cost to make it and then the audience overall like reception and the critical reception it wasn't really enjoyed that much. It was very mixed. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it has like uh, like around a 40% on there. So audiences were a little bit mixed. And when they did Wrath of Khan, they wanted to kind of go back to their roots, a little bit more of a feel like they're one of their episodes that they would have had back in the 60s. In fact, like uh, Leonard Nimoy, the actor who plays Spock, was rumored to have actually refused. He, he didn't want to do another sequel. He didn't want to come back. Agreed to it with that condition that his character would be killed at the end. But the original like test audiences didn't like that he died and it was really bleak. So the ending has a bit more of an optimistic. You, you have Kirk's like speech at the, like his eulogy and and then you've got that that closing shot with his casket, if you will, on that on that brand new, you know, that brand new planet. So give gave that idea that maybe maybe Spock isn't completely gone. Maybe they'll have another sequel. Kind of touching on uh, something that Star Wars had done just two years earlier with Empire Strikes Back, where 
you know, when Han Solo, Han Solo gets frozen carbonite and they're off and it's like, well, shit, you know, what, what's going to happen with Han? But Empire Strikes Back, although a very bleak film, there is that, that sense of optimism. Like, hey, we're going to go find Han. Everything's going to be okay. This movie came out two years later and has, you know, there, there are some parallels. And this is a Star Trek movie, but it, often whenever the discussion of Star Trek comes up, Star Wars will often come up and, and vice versa. There are two franchises that are very, very close together. But um, going back to the overall take, this movie, had it not been a success, they don't know if there would have been a, a search for Spock, you know, like movie part three. If this movie would have been a bomb, it, it's a possibility that the studio would have just scrapped the idea of doing another another Star Trek. So it is a huge credit that the screenwriter and director and hell, even the cast, because I, I think this is some of the best acting that Kirk and Leonard Nimoy um, that they had. So really, really solid. I, I've thought about all the the Star Trek films that I've seen for like of the of the original, like of, of the original cast, not the the ones that they remade in the 2000s or even the next generation. But I think of those series, I think Wrath of Khan is probably probably my favorite favorite uh what about you yeah i think so i've been uh as a fan of just sci-fi enjoy jj abrams new movies and stuff but uh i kind of watched them through and watched breath of more than once in the last few weeks but two is definitely a step up on the first movie and it ties in well with the third movie but um i think the characters are just at their most vulnerable one might say mm-hmm. They're most human. So I think there's a lot of elements. We talked about the year thing with the bug. There's like horror within the movie. So I just, I think it has the most, the most for your dollar in the mm-hmm. movie. Uh, yeah. It, so yeah, that's how I feel. So it's good. Would you uh, like to hear some of my favorite lines from the movie? Oh, I would love to. Not so wounded as we were left to believe. So much the better. Khan's <laughs> got a lot of good ones. Yeah, he or, quotes. He quotes. What is it? Moby Dick a lot in the film. In uh, when Chekhov's in, you know, finds the first planet. I kind of took a look at the books he has. It's King Laird. It's Moby Dick. I think he has the Holy Bible. A few other things, but uh, I think that's something to look into his character and who he is. But like with him, he he really succumbs to just. Uh, his, his own ego because mm-hmm. he does have a ship he does have his crew it's like it you know and in a sense it seems like and if you watch the jj abrams movies you, uh you know like he still cares about his crew in that one too you know his his people are important to him um but in that he, he has his people he has genesis and he could get away but he goes for he goes for re- revenge he goes for kurt he just couldn't let it go and to me, that's that's a flaw in his character, and is that's his number one flaw. Right, right. Khan first appeared in the original series. The episode was called Space Seed. It was shot in 1967 and portrayed by Ricardo Montalban, who reprised his role uh, as Khan in the 82 film. And then 2013, Benedict Cumberbatch played, played Khan. One of the things, and this might be an entirely different conversation, but I really enjoy the J.J. Abrams uh, Star Trek universe because of the fact that it doesn't pretend that 
the older Star Treks didn't happen. You know, it actually works really well that we're we're seeing them younger and it's a different cast and how the timeline was was changed in 2009. But you're still getting these same characters. And of course, I, I love that they were able to bring back Leonard Nimoy for a couple one or I can't remember if it was yeah for two yeah for two of those Star Trek films to play the older Spock and uh, Zachary Quinto Zachary Quinto plays the the younger Spock so I personally love how they've been able to utilize the new films but still pay respect to the original series and knowing now that Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, con like the events of bringing him take place actually 10 years before the events of the TV show of Space Seed, which essentially was a good 25 to 30 years before the events of Wrath of Khan. So I think it's kind of cool how they were able to make all that work. Yeah. Well, there's a part where Kurt and them are going to arrest him and the Klingons, this is in uh, Into Darkness, by the way, but like the Klingons stop him and he just goes through... Um, Khan does, John Harris, and just destroys them. He's shooting them all up. And it's kind of, you know, if you're a fan of Star Trek, if you look at that character, that's Khan in his prime. Like, that's mm. what he has the capability to do. He's stronger, he's smart, he's he's a warrior. Um, I think it's cool you're reading. That's kind of how I pictured Khan. Um, I mean, the name of Khan and what the Mongols were able to conquer from the Middle East to China to Russia kind of sounds exactly like the environment they created for him. It's interesting the way uh, Ricardo plays the role because he he, he just has this presence to him of uh, arrogance. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's good because he is, you know, he is generally one step ahead of the guy uh, mm-hmm. in Khan. In uh, he leaves Chankoff and the other officer there and it does work. He does bring them in one of the fun things about just being a fan if you want to embrace it you can kind of just see these characters see the young ones um and just see how their relationships develop a little backstory on khan a little bit more backstory i guess i would say so in the episode of space seed khan makes his introductory appearance and according to its backstory, Khan is one of a group of genetically engineered superhumans bred to be free of the usual human mental and physical limitations. Khan had been both the most successful conqueror and the most benign ruler of his group, ruling more than a quarter of the Earth's area across Asia to Middle East. And then there were that whole thing called the eugenics war, which I guess was something that they had covered on the episode of, of, or rather, on the, the Star Trek series. And Khan and 84 others escaped Earth by way of the sleeper shift, the SS Botany Bay, and is discovered by the crew of the Enterprise 22 in the year 2267, with Khan and 72 of the 84 members of Botany Bay still alive, cryogenically frozen in suspended animation. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so that's kind of neat that, yeah, I mean, uh, Into Darkness really follows that whole concept pretty, pretty closely and accurately, which I think is good, which makes, I don't know, it gives me a little bit more appreciation for Into Darkness, which I always thought was fantastic with a kind of like the reversal in, in uh shit, well, the movie that we're covering, Wrath of Khan. It's uh, Spock who sacrifices himself in Into Darkness. It's Captain Kirk who sacrifices himself. So... Yeah, fun, fun parallel. Yeah, it in Wrath of Darkness, it seems like it would have been an even scarier future because Khan would have gotten this super elite starship that they just created, and he would have had his crew. 
it would have been simpler to wrath the calm, but I think it it would have been also better, stronger. He would have, I don't know if he could have conquered the galaxy or anything like that, but, uh, you know, it's only him and 72 guys, but uh, I think he would have been in a more powerful position. Had he, had he won in into darkness. Yeah. But, but it's cool. Cause you like in wrath of Khan, you get to see how Kurt and Spock outsmart them. They, they take them to the nebula. Like they wouldn't be able to beat them physically and a lot of things. So, you know, how, you know, how do you, uh, beat somebody stronger than you, you got to take them to your area mm-hmm. uh, and in the other one you get a cool fight sequence with spock which uh spock being such the intellectual guy i think any chance you get to see him be a, a warrior um just you, you feel really i don't know it's kind of like the nerdy guy fighting i don't know <laughs> but uh it's pretty cool to see him like you know kicking butt in uh in the darkness now would you consider yourself more of a star trek guy or more of a star wars guy Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Since day one. You can check it. I'm on record. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I had a lot more Star Wars toys than Star Trek toys. Mm-hmm. That might be a good representation. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. But I also think that in many... And this, this is so weird to say when you think about Empire Strikes Back, but... Star Wars is, I think, is made for kids. Where Star Trek, I think, was made for you know nerdy science people. <laughs> um, yeah. Children weren't the core audience for Star Trek. Where mm-hmm. I think Star Wars, the, the core audience, are our kids, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think that's fair. I mean, I kind of look at like Star Trek would be like a uh, like Lord of the Rings and uh, Star Wars, you know, use space Western. It's kind of like Howdy Doody, but uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit harder than that. But um, just a little bit, just more fun. Yeah. George Lucas wanted it that way. And maybe because Lucas has had so much con- control over that franchise, he's been able to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't mind it too much. The Enterprise, do you think it's a better looking ship than like any of the Star Wars ships? The Millennium Falcon is pretty cool, but it's a beat up, it's kind of a junker. Yeah, um, oh, without a doubt. I mean, it, it's it's a futuristic Navy, right? You yeah. know, Star, Star Trek takes place in the future. Star Wars takes place in the past. Yeah, so, that's, uh, you know. That's true. But, yeah, no, without a doubt, yeah, the Enterprise, even when it's it's beat up, still in better shape than the Millennium Falcon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I now that now that I'm a, a veteran of the Navy and specifically one that spent a lot of time on the bridge, there's something that bothers me about Star Trek, and it's the fact that it's always the same people on the bridge. Like, don't these people sleep? Don't these people ever like rotate their watches? No, apparently Sulu and Chekhov are always, you know, are always driving the bridge and, yep. you know, like don't nonstop. Care. They don't sleep. Yep. I figure it's just Kurt getting with somebody with scheduling and just be like, these are the guys I like. Just put yeah. them in rotation. We'll have other people working on the night crew. Yeah. There, there was a guy who, um, who when Spock south, you know, down at the bottom, uh, fixing the ship, uh, um, he says, sir, the main lines are back online or sorry, sir, the mains are back online. And he says it so calmly. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like, dude, the plane is closing in. You're on the bridge. You know what's happening. You gotta, you gotta yell that out, man. But he just goes, <laughs> the mains are back online. And then Kurt goes smartly, 
because they're running out of time. She's like, Zulu, go! You know, it's like that <laughs> emergency. But yeah. You've been on a bridge and um, in a time when they might have had well, well, I guess one thing is interesting about this bridge, they have a science officer. It, you know, this is kind of about exploration. It seems less military, militaristic than the Navy is. Right, yeah. And you did, or a bit of a, what would you call it, writer, publisher, or in the Navy? So I was a journalist in the Navy, but first two years I was in, I was on a destroyer. And the bulk of that time, I drove the ship. If we were underway, I, w- I was driving the ship ballpark, yeah, about 12 hours a day. It's hard to find like a science officer, but I imagine within the ship y'all had uh, a medical officer. Uh, yep. mm-hmm. you, you know, you had these positions, but I think it'd be, if it'd be good for our Navy to keep, uh, you know, adopting uh, science officers and stuff like that, or journalists to do the records or. Yeah. Yeah. They're. There, I mean, there's literally every single profession that you can imagine in, you know, in the military. But it's funny, like the USS Enterprise is named after the the, the aircraft carrier, the USS Enterprise, which uh, I had several friends that were actually stationed on the USS Enterprise, which I think is really cool. So that's what they based it on the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I want to say the Enterprise is the aircraft carrier that is used in the movie Top Gun. That's pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah. I think so. You got a fun little tie-in. Well, you got to steer the ship. Yeah, yeah. I did it every day. Like I, I mean, uh, yeah, I did it every day for about anywhere from eight to twelve hours a day when we were when we were out there. There was one time that and I. I don't want to embellish, but there was one day that I think I did like 16 hours straight. We were in the Arabian Sea or the Persian Gulf. I can't remember which. At that time, our, our ship was under understaffed and there were only and there were only four of us that were helm qualified. And the other three were off the ship doing other boat operations so yeah there was like a there was one one day in particular like that i drove for like 16 hours straight that that sucked (laughs) yeah a little bit worse than atlanta to austin in one day yeah yeah uh atlanta to austin typically i mean if there's no traffic you're looking looking about 13 and a half 14 hours but you get to sit down, right? <laughs> when you're when you're driving the ship, you're 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 standing. You're you're wearing your uncomfortable uh, steel-toed boots, and then you're on you're, you're standing on you know a steel floor. So it's steel and steel. And the idea of driving a ship sounds cool, and it is cool for about for about five and a half minutes, and then after that. It's not cool anymore because there's nothing to look at. It's just water and a whole bunch of it. So as far as the eye can see, you're everywhere you look. It, it's it's just water. The only time I'd ever did enjoy driving the ship was when there was a storm and the ship would you know, be shaking from side to side and you and you have to steer a specific course. And based on the like the current, you know, uh, the uh, the move the movement of the ocean and the sways and the, the swells from the waves, 
Yeah, and, and the, the ship would lean from side to side. That was fun because you, you you realized you had a lot of power, a lot of control. You could you could really make somebody's day horrible by being a really shitty, uh, really shitty driver. Yeah. Well, uh, there was a line in a, in the movie kind of makes me think of that. Um, it's where Spock at the beginning tells Kirk uh, for his birthday or he gives him a book. I think it's the tale of two cities, but it is the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I think in, to you, it sounds like it was the worst of times when it was flat, but like when the weather was the worst, it was the best of times. Yeah. That's that nails it right there. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it works within the movie is, you know, like Kurt wants to be the captain. Spock's great being the second, you know, they don't want to be in a fight with Khan, but that's really when they're at their best. And I think they really are kind of having fun whenever Mm -hmm. they push to the limit too. That's what Khan's able to do for them. Yeah. But, that was just worked with the movie kind of works with with your sailing so when um somebody like the xo or the captain walked in was it the transition of leadership pretty seamless like you just no longer listen to the con officer or it's just like okay um what used to bother me when i played football was if i made a mistake i'd come off and i'd have my position coach talk to me and then the head coach would talk to me and then at halftime, the defensive coordinator would come talk to me. He's like, hey, man, you missed that right. It's like, I know I missed it. I know we got to my right side. The third time they told me, it's like, I my bosses. I saw it, too. <laughs> uh, so when, typically, typically, and it depends on the captain, because I, I, when I was on the ship, I had two different captains. Barcliff, the, the second guy, he, when he came on the bridge, he'd want – you know, he, he'd check in with the officer of the deck, find out what was going on. And then sometimes he would he would take it over or he would just say, all right, the officer of the deck, you're still in charge. I'm just I'm going to hang up, hang up in my uh, my captain's chair and just kind of watch what's going on and and take it easy. Right. But the the first one panned off. He almost never, from my recollection, ever like took control. He, he was a like. He was a really, really chill, laid back guy, and the crew, the crew loved him. He, he, he wasn't in your face. He, he had a lot of trust in the people that he, that he had in positions of power. So he, he never really challenged that. Now, Commander Barcliff, who, who was the, the second captain of my ship, I love the guy. I, I think he and I, he and I connected really well, and I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because he knew my story as to how I came to be on the ship. And I, I mentioned this on another episode, but he promoted me again, something he didn't have to do, but he, he did it and it was cool. And um, yeah, yeah, that's all I have to really say about that. But so Star Trek, what, what else you got for me? I know you, I know you've got notes. I know you've got like questions or you've got, I, I, I know you, John, I know, I, I got, I know you got things on your mind. Well, uh, some of the things I loved about the movie, bagpipes. Gotta love some bagpipes in there. Oh, yeah. Scotty playing bagpipes at the end. Yep. Uh, as for Star Trek, not too much, man. I mean, I think I went over it. I love that. Like I said, there's tons of references of old books, Moby Dick, Tale of Two Cities, uh, the characters, and the Khan is just straight up 
like Genghis Khan of the future and a warrior and uh, just a well done movie. Good sci-fi. Not every movie has to be a hundred percent authentic. You know, you, it's good to uh, try to find entertainment where you can. And yeah, that's all I got to say about the movie. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you a pop quiz. We'll test okay. your knowledge on wrath of Khan. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So I got this online, so I'm I'm trusting the answers for this one here. Sure, so. sure. Captain Spock, Leonard Nimoy, sets the stage for a sequel by placing his hand against the temple of the unconscious doctor, aka Bones, and speaking a single word. What was the single word? Remember. Exactly. And what what did that mean? Uh, I always kind of had it. He was like downloading his mind, his memory. He was mm-hmm. um, warping with them. But uh, I mean, in the search for Spock, they find a rejuvenated body with, you know, like it's a fresh body. So I think he just, it's kind of like he downloaded the data, put it in bone, takes it right. out, and then just puts it back into his new body. Mm-hmm. So who was the very first character seen in this movie? Christy mm, Alley? Close. Uh, you hear her voice first, but Spock is the first character to appear on camera. But yeah, Kirstie Alley, who played Savick. Oh, a fun note. So like throughout the whole movie, they're they're referring to him like when Savick is on the bridge or like if uh, Savick is doing directions or, or something, they refer to it as like Mr. Savick. I think the original character was supposed to be a male and they never but they but they never changed uh, that dialogue huh and that i think may have been something then like other episodes that regardless of male or female like on the bridge i think they would do that in other movies would just refer to someone as like mister so to do, do, do i already gave this answer earlier but what is the name of the ship that khan and his followers originally came from the botany bay the Botany Bay is correct. Okay. Technically, Kirk and company are only boarding the Enterprise for the purpose of a training mission. Mm-hmm. How long was said training mission supposed to last before Khan obviously fucked shit up? Oh, man. Two weeks? Close. It was three weeks. Kirk yeah. says to Sulu, I'm glad you'll be at the helm for three weeks. I don't think these kids can steer. Holy shit. There you go. Sulu's going to be at the helm for three weeks. Again, which goes back to the fact that, like, doesn't anybody else ever drive? Like, nope. Uh, so that's just a fun thing. I don't think these kids can steer. So, oh, oh, have you seen have you seen the movie Greyhound? They ju- it, it was a brand new movie. Brand new. It's a brand new movie with Tom Hanks. I have not seen Greyhound. So it's a really cool flick. It's available on Apple yeah, it's available on Apple TV or Apple Plus or whatever the hell they're they're called right now. So if you've got an Apple Plus account, it's 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 free. But what's cool about that movie is the fact that it the movie is really focused on like each individual watches. So they'll have like it's probably the most accurate representation I think I've ever seen a film when it comes to people being on the bridge because you'll see different different people. You'll see like turnover. Yeah, definitely worth watching. I think you'd enjoy it. But how many questions have I asked? Is that four? Yeah, probably. All right, cool. All right. So final question, which of the following characters is still alive at the end of the film? Is it Captain Terrell? Is it Spock? Is it Khan or Dr. David Marcus? At the end of this film? Yep. Dr. David Marcus? Yeah. Did, did we see 
like was his son in any of the other films was, was uh so for the listeners if you haven't seen the film dr david marcus is the son of captain kirk well this one things were like i think that's kind of the the payoff for kirk at he doesn't get to have a relationship with his son he finds out about him and at the end his son tells him i'm proud to be your son i think it's something any father a strange father and probably a lot of military dads might know but i give him yeah. a hug um but no in the in the third one the search for spock he's uh watching genesis he himself kind of used i don't know if it was red matter uh but he used some sort of thing that he probably shouldn't have in developing genesis and it's one reason why the planet in the movie is um disruptive temperamental going through a cycle quite rapidly like it works but it also destroys itself and um either way he's with savic in the movie they go down they're the ones who find Spock. the klingons find them and then you have where um christopher Christopher Lloyd, uh, your, your guy from uh, Back to the Future, but he plays the Klingon and he just says, like, kill one of them. And David, they're going to kill Savick. David defends her and he's the one who's stabbed. So the, oh, Kling- wow. the Klingons killed Kirk's son. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. That's a bummer. It, it's tough, man. You know, and it's one of the things his mother feared was him being a a scientist you know kind of chasing after being like his father she she was probably right to protect him and keep him from kirk it would have yeah. been used to fill for any son yeah all right sir we unfortunately are all out of time did you have fun today yeah i had a pretty good time man i you know got off to a rock start but uh you know i think we got it all figured out and so next time next time is better man it's always easier yeah, like the Wrath of Khan being more successful than the original movie, the second, the sequel to this could only be you know, twice as amazing. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to having you back. So you are welcome at any time. What did so. you What did you think of the movie? I enjoyed it. So of this batch of Star Trek films, I think it was probably my favorite. I I enjoyed it more than the original, like Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I enjoy it more than the search for Spock. Uh, the Voyage Home, I loved as a kid. I, ha- I, ha- I haven't seen it since I was like nine years old, so I'll have to revisit that one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what was it? There was one that was called The Undiscovered Country. Um, what else was there? I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but my memory, at least as a kid, and even as an adult, I enjoyed it. I think Ricardo Maltabon, um was great as Khan. I love, I think the movie is really only as good as your villain, you know, like, or uh, not necessarily just your villain, but as good as the stakes are or as demanding as the stakes are. So whatever the, the forces of, of antagonism are, I think that that really shows me how much I enjoy a film. So the stronger the, the antagonists are against you, the more likely I am going to enjoy it. In this case, I, I think I think Khan was a, was a great villain. I loved his his crazy freaking look that he had in this movie, uh, especially when if you do go back and see the the nineteen sixty seven film where he was introduced. In this one, he's kind of like unkempt and he's all over. You know, his, his hair is crazy, but in the nineteen sixty seven, his hair is like I, I don't know if it's a ponytail, but it's like slick back and black, and uh, he was more 
together, where in this one he was a lot more disheveled from being uh, exiled to that planet for for 15 years. But anyway, to answer your question, I enjoyed this. I, I thought it was a good film, and I, I, I enjoyed coming back and watching this movie, where admittedly I probably haven't seen this film in 30 years. Cool. Yeah. You liked it. All right. So that concludes another episode of Stamper Cinema. Again, thank you very much for listening. Tell your friends, uh, have them listen, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And we will see you next Friday with another episode. Bye, everybody.